This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from chapter 13, verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, least in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Continuing in verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into a house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field he answered the one who sows the good seed is the son of man the field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom the weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire so will it be at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out the kingdom, out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, attend to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The parable of the weeds. Guys, I've had some really nice and pristine yards all around me. People who not only know what they are doing with their yard, but they execute that plan flawlessly. Their yards look like putting greens. You know what I'm talking about. That might be you, by the way. Hey, true story. I was on my way here one time, and I was driving down the road again to a place really close to here. And I quickly glanced to my right, and I saw a yard that I thought looked like AstroTurf. It looked so perfect. And the conversation went kind of like this. As I was turning around to see it, uh, I said, B, was that yard AstroTurf? And he said, maybe, maybe we should get some of that. <laughs> There's some layers to that. That's okay. But we, we did turn around. And I had to see this yard for myself. It was immaculate. And it was real. Very real. No fake stuff there at all. You might be wondering, where am I going with this? Great question. Well, I've been looking forward to this reading and this parable for a while now, and for the sake of Jesus' parable, I grew my yard out as a parable itself. <laughs> it is not, in fact, that astroturf that you pass by and you have to do a double take. 
but it is a field sown with good and bad seed. Though it might be green, it is filled with many different types of weeds. And I might be calling it a free-range southern yard. That's fine. So if you're looking at it and you need a visual object lesson, I got you. Uh, some have asked me, hey, why don't you just pull up all the grass and start over? And I pointed to the words of Jesus here. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done there. But let's be honest, it, it sometimes would be easier to blame an enemy for the weeds that are in our yard. The enemy came in the middle of the night, right? No. Because that's what Jesus said, right? Kind of. But what exactly is Jesus talking about this morning? Uh, we're going to find out in his parable that it's so much bigger and so much deeper and so much more important than a broadleaf weed, lime, uh, fertilizer conversation. Uh, so I invite you to lean in as we look into this parable. Because there's big truths that he is throwing at us um, and those people that he was talking to that morning. The first thing I want to highlight, and it's really important, uh, it's one of the things I love about Jesus and how he taught. He was quick to make connections to reality. Uh, Jesus was not some disembodied mystic, uh, but he lived in reality. He walked this earth like you, like me. He walked this earth like us. And the parables of Jesus uh, were a profound look at big and eternal truths, uh, but it was something that the people could connect with. It was something that was concrete. It was something that they um, could make sense of. He used everyday things they would have been familiar with. Uh, for example, right before this, a lost coin or lost check or lost money. Anybody? Uh, he used... Uh, Things like agriculture, wheat and weeds. We all have categories for this. We have an imagination that makes sense of this. A couple of verses earlier, he talked about baking with yeast. So Jesus taught using these connection points. It's important to connect with the concrete, especially when we're talking about big and eternal truths. Because no matter how big our brains are, or no matter how big our imaginations, there's always going to be a gap to that reality. And so these parables, these connections help that interplay in that gap and are great at exposing and they're great at revealing and sometimes great at concealing, right? He said this, he who has ears, let them hear. Do you pick up on that line? Jesus uses this often in his teaching. And I love it when he uses that line because it makes me lean in just a little bit more. See, the people were attracted to Jesus for so many different reasons. The crowds were drawn to him. He was magnetic. Some came to Jesus because they longed for healing. Some came because they wanted to be entertained. Some came to learn. Some came to challenge. Some came to be set free. Some came to bind up. Some were looking for God, but many were looking for something else. And so uh, Jesus uses these words. He brings in these things because we all bring expectations uh, to Jesus. We all bring expectations to his kingdom and what he is doing. We do this. He who has ears, let them hear. So his parables and his teachings always have a way then of cutting and exposing, of differentiating. That's what they do. Let's jump 
into the parable, and it will take us down some of these roads, or just in case, let's jump into the explanation, uh, which we'll start with. Now, I always loved it whenever uh, Jesus' disciples pulled Jesus to the side and said, hey, I'm lost. I don't know what you just said. Your story didn't make sense on me either. And that's what they do here. And so Jesus starts by explaining that parable. In verse 36, it says this, and here's some things we need to be aware of. There are key players we need to note early. There is a man who sowed good seed. Jesus, God, the Son of Man, sowed good seed in his field. And it says the field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. So right away we see there's two competing kingdoms at play. The kingdom of the good seed or the kingdom of God is right at play with the bad seed or the kingdom of the evil one, right? Pretty simple. We get that. Now here's where the parable dives a little bit deeper than per surface read. Jump back to verse 26 and it says this, When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field you have planted had good seed, right? But it's full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull the weeds up, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in bundles, burn them. And we'll put the wheat in the barn. Quick question, when did the farmer's workers first notice the weeds that were present in the field? The weeds among the wheat. It was after the wheat sprouted and formed heads, right? Now back to your yards. We can tell pretty quickly uh, between what good grass is and what bad grass is. What our broadleaf is and what it is that we hoped would actually grow, right? Have you ever talked to a farmer or someone who works in landscaping or ag, they're even more clever at this. They're even quicker at making this differentiation, right? So in this agrarian society, where wheat was one of the primary crops uh, that they looked over daily, that they desperately needed, what could be going on here? Surely they would have spotted the weeds well before this time, right? That would make sense. They're professionals. This is what they do. They should have seen it before. Anybody ever heard of a weed named Bearded Darnell? Just me. I looked it up. That feels good. <laughs> well, many scholars, uh, when they talk about this, uh, this passage, they point to its presence during this time in the ancient Near East. Uh, when they point to the word in Greek that says zizania, uh, that is translated wheat or tares in our Bible. But they were specifically talking about this weed called Darnell. Darnell is still around today. It hasn't gone away because it's this sneaky, nefarious weed. Uh, bearded Darnell is called by some wheat's evil twin. Darnell is poisonous and in large quantities has the ability to kill those who consume it. Now, what makes this weed so sneaky is that it mimics wheat one for one all the way up until it fruits. Where wheat kernels can be brown, light, red, or even at times purple, uh, the darnel takes a blackish turn. And so this weed grows among the wheat, utilizing the nutrients in the soil right alongside the wheat, right up until the end. And you can't tell the difference until it's almost time for harvest. The parable goes on, well, an enemy has done this, right? The farmer exclaimed. 
It feels like a quick to blame line, right? I mean, how old is this farmer? Six or seven? <laughs> or, or, maybe there was a precedent for this. For example, in Roman law, you were prohibited from planting Darnell among the wheat of an enemy. Even an enemy. That's how bad this stuff was. So when Jesus talks about this parable, they had a reference point for that too, right? Some sketchy farmers in the past obviously planted Darnell among the wheat of their enemies, which that would actually stow away in their crops for years and years to come. And it would become an issue that they had to deal with for their lifetime or even potentially the lifetime of that field. Uh, Darnell, a true nemesis to wheat. The parable goes on. The farmers' workers ask, what should we do? Should we Should we pull the weeds? They ask, no. The farmer replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. No, don't pull up the weeds yet. Just wait. Just wait until harvest. Don't you love the patience and the wisdom of the farmer? Jesus later explains the harvest is the end of this, of this age, the end of the world. The harvesters are the angels. Verse 38, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the world. At the end, there's going to be a differentiation that happens between the good seeds and the bad seeds. But until that time, they will both be competing Living in this same field, this world, you with me, you connecting? The agrarian example is super helpful for us when we think about our current world, when we think about our current reality. But it's also super helpful when we think about the future reality that is to come. So please don't miss the implications and the applications of of what this could mean for the people of God. So quick recap, Jesus starts the parable telling this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. There are two competing kingdoms at play. God is patient in his timing. But there will come a time uh, when the harvest is ready. And during this time, the wheat will be separated from the weeds. The kingdom of God will be separated from the kingdom of the enemy or the devil. You with me? A couple of implications that are built in. We've we've got to check out this morning. First, we learn this, uh, especially from the weeds. The Darnell can look good all the way up until the end. Until the very end, the good or the bad seed looks good until it starts fruiting. Now this can potentially be a scary draw for us this morning. Hear me, I don't mean to scare. But I don't want to water this down either. The implications are this. This is what it means. There are people planted who may look like Christians who may think themselves Christians. This especially in the South. They are moral. They are decent. Maybe even religious, who find in the end they have no grain at all. They mimic what it means to be a Christian. They mimic the life of the follower of Christ. They do all the right things externally. But internally, there is nothing. My mind runs to Matthew 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says this, On judgment day, uh, people will come to him at harvest, and many will say, Lord, Lord, 
We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But Jesus will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is a sobering word for the church. For you, for me, is it not? Uh, Do we see the actions that were done by these people that came to Jesus? They were prophesying in Jesus' name. They were casting out demons. They were performing miracles. All of these are the signs of the kingdom of God. They are miraculous here that we are talking about. But Jesus said, but I will reply, I never knew you. Lord, Lord, the doubling of that name, it, 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 it talks about this address of intimacy. Them saying, Lord, Lord, they are saying the right things. They are doing the right things, but in the end, find themselves not as one that has been planted by the Son of Man. A one to which, verse 40 says, they will be pulled up and burned in the fire. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This extreme and hopeless dismay of those who are finally excluded from the kingdom of God. We are talking about hell here, which is no short order conversation which Jesus references when talking about Lazarus and the rich man as Hades or this place of great torment, away, forever away from the God of the universe. Or also in the Sermon of the Mount when he talks about Gehenna, he talks about it as this place of unrelenting fire. I don't want to move on from this too fast because it's too important. Jesus didn't play games here. Let's not play games either. Again, so often in the South, Christianity can be something that you put on. It can be something that you play at. It can be something that that you just go through the motions doing and doing the right thing. But that just doesn't cut it for Jesus. According to the teachings of Jesus, it's not enough. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. To which he points to something miraculous, something that other that needs to happen to that person. At this point, I'm indebted to Tim Keller on Jesus when he talked to Nicodemus. In John 3, he talked about entering into the kingdom of heaven. He said this, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Born anew, which depending on where you're from, that might carry baggage with it. So let me also talk about this. Another translation says, born from above. This was something that God does in us. Born of spirit and truth. The beauty of the gospel is this, that God does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. We can't mimic it. We can't play at it. We can't make it right on our own. But it's something that the God of the universe does for us. And he did for us and is doing for us. He creates in us new hearts. He transforms us from the inside out just like a planted seed. We are new. It's miraculous. It's holy. It's something that the Son of Man does to us, for us, in us. This parable It holds this truth up like a mirror to myself, to you, to all those that were hearing at the time. And it causes us to draw some of the same conclusions. It draws us in these same questions. So what seed am I? What does it mean? Well, how do we know which seed we are? Growth. Growth. It's a short answer. Again, in Matthew 7, every good tree bears good fruit. This wheat at harvest show its true nature by its 
fruit. What was deep within the seed rang true as it came to fruition and maturation. It rang true on the outside because it was true on the inside. It wasn't something that could be mimicked. It wasn't something that could be faked. It wasn't counterfeit. Maturity, humility, joy, all of these were genuine. It's not something that could be put on. Because if you are good seed, then you are being made into the likeness of Christ. The more and more you uh, grow, the more and more you look like him, the more and more you smell like him. It talks about us being the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, regardless of the circumstance. Now, this can be a, a true tester here, regardless of the circumstance. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus because we have Jesus We are the good seed. We are a part of this new kingdom, this new way of being. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. It's not dependent on our circumstance. It's not Jesus plus the political or the power. It's not Jesus plus the comfort and the stability and security. It's not Jesus plus money. It's not Jesus plus peace and good health. It's Jesus where even in the dark night, you have Jesus and it changes everything. And good fruit grows more and more in you. People experience you differently. They see genuine love and joy and patience. It's real. It's not put on. They see kindness and gentleness. They experience your goodness and your self-control. And it's not manufactured. It's not plastic. It's real. It's something that God is doing in you. Someone who God is forming you into. Someone who shines, and this is what verse 43 says, shines like the sun in the kingdom of their father. This is what it means. This is what we're talking about. Another implication of this parable, the farming metaphor is a slow metaphor. Taking time. It takes patience. And long-suffering at times. If you're discouraged, Take heart. These two competing kingdoms, they grow side by side, where we see the influence of one on the other. We see them contending, good versus evil. We see them at war. We see the chaos in the world and the confusion. We also see the hope and the peace and the justice of the kingdom of God. They are contending. But please hear me say this. This is not some kind of dualism where we're waiting to see who wins. Is it good? Is it evil? No, God wins. But in the meantime, Our God is patient, and we are waiting. We are waiting. This is our current reality. We wait. This in-between time, we contend, and we wait. If you are discouraged and frustrated, eagerly longing for everything to be made right, you are in good company. The people of God throughout the generations have been longing and waiting, eagerly awaiting This is what Paul preaches. This very thing in Romans 8, he says, don't you see that even creation itself is waiting with eager anticipation to be set right? We've all been subjected to this frustration. Verse 22 gets even more graphic. Creation's been groaning uh, as in the pains of childbirth right up to this very present time. Oh, but, but one day, one day, Paul points to this. He never stopped pointing to this. One day, everything will be made right. 
One day everything that is broken will be fixed. One day everything that is in bondage will be set free. One day the children of God will know hope and life and light. One day. And so in the meantime, we wait eagerly anticipating. Jesus started something. He planted the seed in his field. And at harvest, these sons and daughters of the king have a beautiful future awaiting for them. A great, long-awaited feast. A huge party with the God of the universe as the host. At harvest, all will be made right. But our host is a patient host. And for this reason, we wait now, it would be a mistake to overpromise the person in Christ. Perfect justice, perfect comfort on this side of heaven, perfect forgiveness, perfect healing, perfect peace, or perfect relating on this side of heaven. The process is long and it is slow. The formation in the hands of the Creator who plants, who waters, uh, and who cares for His seed is not immediate, but it is over a lifetime. It grows. You grow. We grow. Till final harvest, right? Where verse 43 says this, the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom, fully alive, in joy, in glory, in fullness. Are you discouraged by the weeds in the field? Don't let that wreck you because at harvest all will be made right. This has been the comfort for the children of God since the beginning. God sees, God cares, and God is up to something. This was Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And finally, if you aren't sure what kingdom you belong to today, whose you are, but your ears are pricked and you have ears to hear, it's as simple as surrendering and saying to Jesus, I'm all in. You're surrendering to Jesus, not just as Savior, but also as the Lord of your life. And God, God who draws near, he claims you. God does this work. He claims you as his own. He adopts you. He plants you. He restores you. He restores you into this new creation that you will become. And you will become his beloved. He will look at you and say, you are my son and you are my daughter. By the way, if that was you, tell somebody. We want to celebrate with you. We want to come alongside you as brothers and sisters. Uh, let us know and to us all. Draw near to the Lord. Have ears to hear. We have a God who cares for us. A God who gives us everything we need. A God who forms his people to be for the community they are planted in. A light on the hill pointing to hope pointing to joy and pointing to love. May it be said about us. Praise God for the patience and the power of the good farmer. And praise God that he is a good, good father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, your, your parables, they, they speak truth. They hold up a mirror and they make us question the right things. Question who we are and whose we are. God, we, we want to be yours. 
you said that your yoke was easy and your burden is light. And you said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you peace and rest. God, we need your peace and rest. You are a God that is with us and a God that draws near. Draw our hearts, whether it's for the first time or the millionth time, draw our hearts nearer and nearer to you that we might look more and more like your son. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.